Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. We'll start with Kasali. Master, this is the horse. Good juvenile being retired to stud at the end of his two-year-old career. Nothing new there. Yes, got my dander up this one, did. It did. Um, yeah, so... Kas- I've never seen your dander as up as that. Well, no, it's, it's not a pretty sight. So, Kassar was, was a fair two-year-old this year. He won the Mill Reef Stakes Group 2. Mm-hmm. He won the Serenia Stakes the Group 3. Both decent races, but no one would say they are vintage, stellar two-year-old contests. He has been retired to stud as a sound and healthy horse. Uh, he'll stand in Ireland next year. And the basic reason why he's going to stud officially is that he's a son of Kodiak, who is a supremely good um, sire, primarily of two-year-olds. And Kodiak is quite expensive. And Kassar will be available, I think, really as a Kodiak light um, version at stud. And covering a far less distinguished group of men. Absolutely, yeah. And it just seems to me... For, for racing and for bloodstock, this is damaging. For racing, it's damaging because the whole, the, the biggest problem with flat racing and the biggest thing that people say sets it apart from jump racing is that jump racing, the stars are around forever. Now, listen, Kassar wasn't a star, but it's still a bad thing when it's deemed a horse has done enough by racing at two, and that's worthy of a place it's stood. And I think it's bad for bloodstock in the sense that if you look at the recent sales returns mm. at the lower end of the market, the sort of end that Kassar will probably be operating at, you have horses that are being sold for 800 guineas. You have horses being given away at the sales in the autumn because there's just no market for them. What, uh, about, what about Dark Angel? He retired to start at the end always, of his two-year-old yeah, career and, and he's proved to be a fantastic stallion. And there are always exceptions to every rule. And there are horses who will be retired at two and go on to be tremendous successes at stud. And Kassar. Tia yeah, the Melbourne yeah, Cup winner. Kassar could be a tremendous success at stud as well. But I think the principle of thinking a horse has done enough to go to stud by racing it too, is bad for the sport and bad for the industry. Kassar, by Kodiak, formerly trained by John Gosden, retires to stud at the end of his reasonable two-year-old career. Let's talk about <laughs> the rankings, the Longines World <laughs> Thoroughbred rankings. Winks and Cracksman head the list. Enable's only about seventh. Yeah, and funny enough, Enable, the, the astonishing thing about Enable this year is that she's won an ARC and a Breeders' Cup turf when clearly being a fair way below the level she set as a three-year-old in 27. So she won't be the world champion. The world champion will be either Cracksman or Winks. Or both. Or both, potentially. You, you sense a fudge might just be a possible outcome. I'd settle for a fudge. I'm very much in the Winks camp. 29 wins on the trot, 22 group, win, group one wins on the trot. Um, I think she's a superb racehorse. Cracksman is equally superb racehorse. But I think if he gets it, it sort of follows the arrogant line last year of you're giving the horse the reward for one performance. And with Cracksman, I think he became a bit of a one-dimensional pony, albeit a very fast one-dimensional pony. And it looked like he had to have certain conditions. He swerved the King George, he swerved the International, he swerved the Ark, and he had his day at Ascot on soft ground in the autumn. But Richard, when we talk about handicapping and numbers, we're talking about... um a supposedly um, objective assessment of performance. It is, of course, entirely subjective assessment of performance uh, from these worldwide handicappers, and therefore a single performance, however unsatisfying it may seem to you, should, should share equal weight with durability, toughness, etc., no? Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I guess in the, in, in the flat world, it's much more important because these are the future stallions mm. and, and so they, they, they're going to want to be happier that this is properly sort of thought through. And, uh, but whereas when the argument as to who's the best national hunt horse at the end of one season is, is in a sense, almost irrelevant and it is just somebody's opinion. Um, yeah. What do you think, Paddy? 
They used, we used to, we used, to, used to get argue about cue cards racing all the time. I never did. Whether he was worth 175, 182, 193. No. It's not. Um, leave it to the lads. <laughs> no let, interest. Just let wings no have it. Let wings have it. You never have guessed he'd come back from Australia. But the next topic is the Melbourne Cup. And we touched on this briefly earlier on, but I think it's worth touching on yeah. again. What kind of race is it now? Is it a race simply for international horses to come and plunder? And to what extent will that detract from it as an event that is a national spectacle, national holiday, something that interests the Australian people. Yeah, so there, there is debate in Australia around the fact that you had, of the 24 runners in this year's Melbourne Cup, you had 11 internationals, 10 trained in Europe. First three came from Britain. Last year, the first three came from Ireland. Uh, one respected racing journalist over there, Chris Roots, has written an article today saying that the VRC, the Victoria Racing Club, which in effect owns the Melbourne Cup, has to do something and has to, in effect, punish European horses more. Um, I think it's wrong on a number of levels. Firstly, the Melbourne Cup has been built into a tremendous event, and it's because it's so tremendous that horses are being attracted from around the world. And if you want to sell an event as a major world event, you have to invite the world to it. And if you have a protectionist policy that says, we don't want you, you're spoiling it, then you destroy that event straight away. Chris Roots makes the argument in his, um, in his piece that um, it's easier for European horses to get into it than Australian horses. That's not the case. It's a handicap. Horses get into a handicap based on how good those horses are. The better horses will have preference, priority over the ones who aren't so good. So I think that argument is wrong as well. But also, I think we also have to be realistic and say that, as with the Grand National, most people that watch the Grand National and most people that watch the Melbourne Cup are not racing fans. Most people that watch the Grand National have not heard of the 40 horses on the day of the race. They look at the race card, they pick out the horse. It's the same with, with the Melbourne Cup. Whether they've been trained in Newmarket or Ballarat, for most people, they are names they're not familiar with. They just enjoy getting involved in the event. That is interesting. Melbourne Cup, then. Um, will it continue to be a European benefit, and how will that go down with the Australian media? We talk about withdrawals now. This is the latest tinkering to a BHA protocol as regards how horses are withdrawn on the race course. This came after the uh, withdrawal of a horse at Nottingham, who was mistakenly withdrawn on the Tannoy and then had to be withdrawn because the betting public had been informed he'd been withdrawn, even though there was no need to withdraw him. Um, this is, this is, but this, to be honest, Richard, is a broader issue, isn't it? It's all to do with race day procedure and to what extent the BHA, with their new chief stewarding system, the chief steward on the day can really just grab a hold of all these loose ends and tidy them up. I'm going to need jenning up on this. I've missed this. This is, a, this is a change in procedure that's going live or being put forward. It's, it's it's been, been, yeah. Yeah. And, and essentially it's all to do with the, the BHA having a chief steward mm. Mm. on the day who can really kind of marshal the race day procedure and give everyone confidence that these little cock up here and a cock up here there isn't going to happen, Paddy. I mean, how do you think a race day is run at the moment? Pretty well or, or not so well? Well, from a jockey's point of view, it's like you're, you're in there and you're on the horse. It's, it's pretty easy, isn't it? But there's a lot of things that can go on around the place and you can never have enough minds or people to make decisions. And if they're, if they're bringing someone in, great. You know, if it's going to help the situation. I imagine we're talking about the incident on in the flat, wasn't yeah, it? At, at Nottingham, Nottingham yeah. where the wrong horse. Look, sometimes people get it wrong and in life you, you make decisions and we make mistakes and when, when it's something like that at the start the fingers pointed at maybe one person and 
look, it went against someone that day, but there'll be another day when it'll work in that person's is favour. It, is it allowing some subjectivity, then, from the steward uh, at the course? Because we, we had an interesting issue at Ascot the other week when Von Romney won, when, the, the, when, when there was a stricken horse in front of a fence, but the fence wasn't properly doled off, and they went round the inside of it, but all the, all the jockeys did the same thing. Unfortunately, uh, the, the, the result was allowed to mm. stand. But another day, you could see someone just disqualifying the whole race, even though it was a sixty thousand pound race, even though there'd been no advantage. So it's good to see common sense yeah, being allowed to be considered. Definitely, and I think it's to do with chain of command as well, and, and yeah. who who is ultimately responsible for the efficient mm. and uh, and good regulation of a race day. And I think that's something that the BHA really wants to tidy up. Uh, Davis is Mims Davis, who is the new uh, sports minister taking over from Tracy Crouch. From racing's point of view, Lee, she's got quite a hard act to follow. I think. Yeah, she has. So Tracy Crouch, um, I think, widely regarded as having been a great success for racing in terms of um, her relations with the BHA and with the sport, and reflective of the BHA having become much better at interacting with, with government. Will Lamb at the BHA has done a fantastic job with that. So and Tracy Crouch departed her position. She's not the most recent government resignation. We've, we've had, a, we've had a, a quite a high-profile one since then um, because she wasn't happy... With, and she um, was like, nothing to do with Brexit? Nothing to do with Brexit, with FOB Yeah. That other great issue for government. Um, she felt that delaying the implementation of the £2 max state reduction until October next year was inadequate and that it should have been done in April when she thought it would be done. She put out a statistic about how two people lose their life every day, life every day, because of gambling addiction. Um, I think for, for, for the betting industry they might think, oh, phew, Tracy Crouch has gone. She was a lady who was behind the, the £2 max stake. The £2 max stake is still going to happen. And in some ways, as my colleague Bill Barber wrote in the Racing Post during the week, what this has really done is once again highlighted to the public this, 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 this situation regarding machines. It's more reputational damage mm. for bookmakers. But people talk about public perception. We talked about this on The Whip, public yep. perception of horse racing, public perception of gambling in this sort of puritanical period yeah. that we're living through is just as important, and horse racing will get yoked together with that. So we do have a responsibility as a sport. Well, I mean, sure you, you, you'll give me the figures, but uh, horse racing's a huge uh, beneficiary, isn't it, mm. of the of the FOBTIS? But that doesn't mean it's right. Uh, the, 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 you know, those, those devices uh, are definitely fueling gambling addiction, and they definitely need reining back. So I can understand um, Tracy Crouch feeling very passionately about it. And she felt so passionately that she has resigned from government. It's all about jockey's pay. Well, clearly there's only one man to answer this. Andrew Thornton has teed this up in the paper this week. We touched on this briefly earlier in the programme, Paddy. Jockeys should be paid more. Well, you're not going to say turkeys. <laughs> you, you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, like I, like I said earlier, like the, the PGA are always working hard on, on the jockeys, you know, right, the riding fee increasing. And I think they're doing their best um, on that front. As I said earlier, I just think the lesser... The lower down jockey that that's going schooling in all these yards and isn't guaranteed to ride that horse when it runs, maybe there should be something there where the trainer would fund them a little bit. If it's not just maybe putting fuel in their car, a, a certain amount of figure uh, amount to, to school the horse. Just that's where the help needs is is the jockey that's working extremely hard and sometimes the best is available. So they they ain't going to ride the horse. They need to maybe that needs to be addressed a little bit. Do you think jockeys should be able to? set their own pay rates. I've always thought it's a rather archaic system that the fee rates stole. So the fee for A.P. McCoy at his prime or the fee for a, a lad who's just ridden out at 70 winners is the same. Mm. And yet, so everyone inevitably, all the owners with their favourites, want McCoy. 
Uh, now, you wonder really whether that's, that's not normal business. A normal marketplace is different. Maybe within certain pay scales, there should be the opportunity for a younger jockey to actually pitch a bit lower and for a senior jockey to pitch a bit higher. Yeah, maybe. Um, that's, not, that, that's not something I've sort of thought about. Um, but as I said, look, there is trainers out there that, that give some of these jockeys. And like, don't get me wrong, some trainers are financially in a better place than others. Mm. Let, let's, not, let's be straight. But you know, like, there's a few trainers in particular that pay lads that, that are in there riding out. And if they don't ride the horse the next day, they're fully understanding. You can certainly make the argument. This is another one of those examples where racing is such a singular thing. And anyone from the outside world... Mm would say that if Paddy's going into a yard, driving 100 miles in the morning, to ride out three lots for a trainer, if anybody else gets called out to do a job of any sort, you get paid for it. It seems bizarre, inside racing to me, I think to anyone outside racing, that jockeys don't get paid for that. Let's talk about watering, because the... Well, no need for watering today. I don't know what the ground's going to be like down the road mm-hmm. at Sandown. Pretty heavy. But, Richard, uh, you wanted to raise a point about Exeter and their Holden Gold Cup fixture, which was their well, first... Well, I feel sorry for them in the sense that they, they would have had a bigger, stronger field if the ground wasn't as fast. But I, I suppose I want to put a little word in for our local track, Worcester, much maligned by some, but actually a beautiful track, because the, 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 the genuine summer courses now have learnt they have to water if they're going to have proper competitive racing a number of tracks are not watering and there may be reasons why they don't want to water but when they've got high profile races like the Holden Gold Cup cutting up to five runners Mm. and that's why St Calvados we've heard already went to Ireland because he didn't want to be risked on that ground and and the Badger Beer yesterday big day at Wincanton well when you know ground was looking firm good to firm in places they were lucky that in a way that they had a big chunk of rain just before to make it maybe good ground but you've got to wonder either either the programme book needs to change a bit or or, uh, but these are the I mean, Holden Gold Cup is Exeter's number one race of the entire year. So uh, either they've got to water better uh, and to attract the good fields for the big races, uh, or the programme book needs to be altered and, and not, not have it when they're going to be vulnerable to very firm ground. But isn't the problem that if you start watering at this time in October, November, that these winter tracks, by the time you get to December, you're just racing through a bog and will do all the way through until the Well, spring. then it may be a question of changing the order of the dates and not having the Holden Gold Cup, you know, only just into November, end of October. Maybe it needs to be a month later or maybe it needs to be somewhere else. But if it's... It doesn't seem to me acceptable to just uh, allow us to have to be... Uh, the Holden Gold Cup, entries were being put on, it was firm, good to firm in places, or good to firm, firm in places, which in this day and age, I mean, you, you won't get that at Cheltenham next week. I know we won't anyway, but they wouldn't allow it to get like that. So you just think in, the, in, in an age where we can irrigate to good ground all the way through the summer, why I can't think we someone's got to look at it, because otherwise, and I'm sure there must be a lot of trainers and owners frustrated that they, that they and quite understandably, wouldn't want to risk their horses on very, very quick ground, particularly at the beginning of the season. Those were this week's Talking Points. <laughs> Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai.